Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jesse Collings. And joining me today for a first-time guest... Uh, he's the host of the NWA podcast with Nate Milton over on Post Wrestling. Um, he's also a professor of political science at Cal State University Fullerton. He's Dr. Chris Ely. Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm uh, great. Uh, I'm I'm great, uh, Jesse. Sorry, you get I got a little tongue tied. Great, Jesse. I uh, love uh, the work you do. At WrestleNomics, I'm a big fan of uh, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, so I will uh, try to practice as much gentlemanly etiquette as I can. Yeah, I don't know if we were really conducting gentlemanly etiquette, edi- etiquette <laughs> on the show. The, the name of the show is only exists because I originally wanted... I was really like fascinated. I wanted to do like these deep dives on specific subjects, almost like you're reading like this long New Yorker portfolio right. on something. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I just, when I was being a, my former co-host, uh, Jason Unpresser, when we were coming up with the concept of the show, I was like, yeah, like gentlemen's wrestling podcast, if only because I wanted to separate it from like the hot take culture that many podcasts have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like specific, and I, yeah, and I don't get that. Yeah, I don't get that impression from you at all when I listen to your show. That's why I like because some you, you, there's a lot of people in our in our space that that exists just to be rabble rousers, so to speak, and, and to say offensive things just for clicks and listens and all that. So yeah, um, and it's yeah. it's it's not even like necessarily like the people that are like. It's also like an element like. Of people that just get worked up and it's not necessarily like right because they're looking for attention or something like that it's just their that's their style and i didn't i don't want this mm-hmm. to be like a uh a thing where people are screaming at each other or someone's getting really worked up about something um i want it to be uh more gentlemanly. one day I'll, I'll do a live episode with several guests and we'll all be sitting in like a uh yeah we'll all be wearing tweed coats and be sitting in a um like a like a like a like a gentleman's club room and smoking uh, pipes and we'll uh, right, th- yes. we'll discuss the the, the <laughs> latest wrestling news with with fake british accents um <laughs> but the reason i wanted to have chris on the show today was um i wanted to talk about something that has really been fascinating to me for a long time and it was kind of um hammered home uh last month when uh brandon thurston of wrestlenomics of course i imagine most listeners of the show are hopefully familiar with wrestlenomics um but brandon published a chart that was um looking at kind of the different various demographics of pro wrestling fans and kind of basically looking at who was watching each you know major pro wrestling show that's uh telecast the united states 
And he had breakdowns for, you know, economic background. He had breakdowns for uh, educational background. And he had breakdowns on racial backgrounds. And he had some really, one, of, and that was something that really fascinated me. So I'm going to attempt to uh, to screen share here um, for, so just so the listeners on, or the viewers on video can see it. Um, let's see. Well, let's see if I can share screen, right? I can do that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that should be uh, quite right. Um, right. So as people can see, this is the chart that Brandon produced. And it has the racial breakdowns of every single show that's on American television for the most part. Um, and the big thing that jumps out to me, really like kind of like the only thing that jumps out to me because these are very similar, is the percentage of WWE's audience that is Black versus the percentage of AEW's audience that is black, which is um, uh, in particular with Dynamite, um, which is for people who are listening listening and not seeing this chart, AEW's Dynamite audience is 68% white and 16% black. That's according to Nielsen data, which is not infallible, but at least gives us something in the ballpark. Right. And for instance, Monday Night Raw's audience is 59% white, 25% black. They're about the same in, in percentage of Hispanic audience, about the same in percentage of Asian audience, and about the same in other races. It's really the difference between the racial breakdowns between the two companies is mm -hmm. the black viewers seem to prefer WWE or are not tuning into dynamite at the same rate that maybe white viewers are and right. one of the one of the many reasons why i think this is important is that how often do we have conversations about how can AEW grow how can AEW create new fans how can they get more people to become invested in their product that can go to live shows that can buy pay-per-views that can buy merchandise all of that stuff and one of them i'm looking at right here is that clearly there is a percentage of black fans who are you know, loyal WW viewers that for whatever reason are not tuning into AW, particularly AW Dynamite. And I wanted to kind of explore some of the reasons maybe for that and kind of also maybe what are some things that they can do. And and Chris, you were on an episode of WrestleNomics with John Pollock and Brandon Thurston, mm -hmm. and you talked about this very issue um, in December. Um, and I thought you did a great job on that. Um, so I wanted to invite you on the show. Um, and I guess for starters, when you first saw this chart, did what was kind of your reaction to that in terms of did it did it check out? Did it make sense? Did it confirm some things you already thought? Um, what did it kind of say to you? A, a little bit of everything. Yeah, it confirmed some things that I already thought. Um, it also told me that AEW, this is something that we've talked about on um the NWA podcast and I've written about for WrestleNomics. Um, and it's just, they do um, not have, they do not have their finger on the pulse of black America. Probably WWE. I don't think they really do either. I just think that it's more of what people know and more of what people are used to, you know, and anytime you're the number two, um, I think just as a general rule of thumb, the masses are going to gravitate towards the number one. So, um, and if you're like a casual fan, um, AEW 
might just seem second rate. Um, I do think with um, the um, ascension of uh, Swerve Strickland, um, and if they can do have more people like him on the rise, I think the the company will rise as a whole. But there's really not been a whole lot of black wrestlers in AEW to really get invested in to to sink your teeth in so to, into so to speak. Right? It's like you've got um, talented guys like Scorpio Sky, but it always seems like they hit a ceiling or hit a wall. They get a push, and then for some reason, it's it's not there anymore. Uh, Ricky Starks, um, I thought he was going to be the guy for a long time, and then all of a sudden, he's derailed. And now he's not in a horrible position. It's just by this time this year, like last year, I thought this guy would be at least in the conversation for the world title. And now he's, you know, in a tag team, um, a makeshift tag team at, at that, which, you know, it's fine, but it, it's, it's just, if you do a lot of that stuff, what you're doing is you're telling your audience that um, this guy is not a priority or is just not as important as other people we care about. So that's why, the way they handle Swerve in this moment right here is going to be so important to the way um, Black fans receive them, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and this is a problem, I think, there's, pro there's elements of it too in WWE, but it's a problem yes. across the board in AEW in terms of AEW seems to allow wrestlers to show a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. And then there's a struggle to follow up and push those people all the way. And so right. when you talk about wrestlers like Ricky Starks or Swerve, um, who are guys who have shown a lot of potential, um, and then they, 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 whether they feel like they hit a ceiling or they feel like that they've kind of, they feel like they were in the driver's seat and then they're kind of pushed into the backseat. I think that's a kind of a universal problem. I think one of the major things going back to AEW's foundation is that if you look at AEW's original roster mm -hmm. from when they first debuted on, on TNT, it was a very white roster. And all, right. <laughs> all of the most prominent names, for the most part, were white. And there really right. wasn't, outside of Scorpio Sky, there really mm -hmm. wasn't like any black talent to, to be seen. I'm trying to even think of anyone else that was on that original roster. It was private party. They gave them a match with um, the young bucks. Right. I was actually at that. I was actually at that match. Now I think about it. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. But they were a complete, completely unproven. Like, I mean, I had, I don't even yeah. think, I think I'd seen one match of them prior. Yeah. And you could match. almost tell when you watch that match with private private party and the bucks and private party wins the match you could almost tell it was like kind of a charity win like yeah. we're gonna let these guys win and then they just do absolutely nothing after that like you said they were just unproven you know yeah and and i think i don't know i don't know if that's necessarily like aw's fault like there just wasn't they had a they yeah. signed the talent that was available to them. It was it was the same way with the women's division, where the women's division was certainly pretty weak in terms of names. Mm -hmm. And it was because, well, there there, you know, if there was 
and this is a, a longer standing issue, I think, in the wrestling industry across the board. But if there was, you know, the black version of Chris Jericho or the black version of Cody Rhodes that was out there um, to be signed, I think AEW would assign them. The problem was there was a limited amount of people to be signed. And I think that when AEW starts, that sets kind of a stigma where people who were, you know, I forget what the, how many people actually tuned into the first episode of Dynamite. I think it was like one point. 1 million or 1.3 million, something like that. Um, when people are sampling the show for the first time and they're making that judgment whether or not I'm going to watch that, watch the show, and the show is very white, there's basically yeah. only one black wrestler of note at all, yeah. a lot of those people might tune out. Um, now, since then, I think AEW has done a good job, at least in being active in signing black talent that has come available to mm -hmm. them they signed ricky starks when he was available they signed swerve when he was released from wwe they got out and they went out and they got keith lee um mm -hmm. they are i don't i i definitely think that they're active in that sense but i think what you have is you have now that talent being caught in kind of what you were talking about earlier chris which is taking someone who has promise and really elevating them to the top level uh, of yeah. the company which really if you look at the last the four years of AEW the only two wrestlers I would say that have cracked the top echelon of the company that didn't start there were MJF and Hangman Page and Hangman mm -hmm. you could argue was was kind of already there he you know he made evented their 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 full gear pay-per-view and was Jericho's first the first it was challenged for the um original challenger for the uh the first title and things like that but really over four years there's only been one guy who I think has has climbed up to the highest level in the company and that's MJF and right. at this point there's probably room for more and that means there's probably room for more diversity as well yeah, it's 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 weird with AEW because it always does seem like they're waiting for like free agents to get released. Um, and I think that is fine. It's just while you're doing that, you need to be pushing um the next generations of generation of stars. MJF is um, you know, his uh rise has been kind of meteoric. Um and I I think with AEW sometimes when I watch it, um, and this is probably the difference between AEW and WWE, and I don't have any like data driven, uh, this is just an assumption, this is anecdotal, um, so please take it as such. But sometimes when I watch AEW, as a general rule of thumb, I like AEW better than I like WWE, but there is a lot of like clown crap on AEW sometimes that I just cannot relate to. And I think, and I look at it as, um, I like a lot of black things, urbane things. And, um, when, um, uh, um, MJF and Adam Cole, when they were like doing the angle where they're they're um like at a um miniature golf course or whatever maybe it was frisbee golf i don't even remember and the vignettes like, with mjf and cole which were yeah, very goofy yeah that was so clownish and goofy 
Um, and, and I talked to some of the uh, Black podcasters, and I think some of us were split because some, some liked it, and there were others that didn't like it. Um, it wasn't universally liked by uh, the the black people in this space that I was talking to, and um, I do think that's gonna be an issue as well. Because say what you want about WWE, um, there are things like that that don't necessarily appeal to me or appeal to. Um, and I, I there I don't think there's been anything like blatantly that clownish. Um, on their television, we'll talk about our truth in a minute, probably. <laughs> but uh, that 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 kind of thing with the main event talent, right? Um, that's a and I think, it, right? That's a big point, which is we're talking about Adam Cole and MJF, which is like the most pushed angle in the entire company, right? Like yeah, NXT yeah. is full of goofy vignettes like that. Um, yeah, but you're right. That's it's not <sighs> something that like Cody Rhodes is doing or Roman right. Reigns or. The true top talent. And it's funny, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think those were um uh like those, like you talked about those those MJF and Cole vignettes. And those are definitely kind of I think a lot of people, at least in my space, had really negative feelings towards them. Yeah. And then you bring them up as kind of like this clownish thing. And, and in hindsight, like now I'm looking at them I'm like those are extremely white vignettes. Like they're just like <laughs> this goofy. Like yeah. we're going to go out, we're going to try Chinese food and it's going to be too spicy or too yeah, hot for yeah. us or something like that. And it's like, and that isn't because you're right. This is the major angle that the company is promoting. It's not like this little, like, you know, two minute thing that is just, right, you know, yeah. not going to spoil anything. This is the the relationship the company is hoping you invest in the most because it's being right. presented as that. Like, and I was looking at, looking at a chart. Um, I want to say, um, a a month ago or so and they were talking about top 10 shows um they surveyed black people white people top 10 shows amongst black people white people and stuff uh one in 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 the in black shows it was very interesting it was one of the shows that was in the top 10 was three's company for um this is um i, I wish i had the chart on me but it was like this is one of the top 10 shows that black people like is is three's company and i think like when you're um doing these things it's it's, it's a, about attracting the black audience it's more than just having black talent it's having talent that even black people can relate to in some significant way um and different shows get penalized for for different things like the um like uh if you take friends for example friends is always getting criticized criticized for being extra white no diversity um barely having black people leave it as background characters but they did have like a few prominent ones towards the latter seasons and i just think the reason why um black audiences shut off with shut off of friends and I'm getting to a point with wrestling I just have to tell this anecdote real quick um is that I think um I think friends represents like an idealized version of white society that um I don't think um a significant amount of 
Black people can relate to on that level. You know, with friends, it was kind of like they live in this New York City white topia, only interact with other white people, um, tell a lot of like very white jokes. Um, and it's a funny show, but I don't think it's it. it I think that show kind of tells the black audience without telling the black audience that this show isn't for you. And I think AEW was suffering from a little bit of that. To be fair to AEW, they weren't, it was, what, what was going on with them in some cases was not fair. Um, people in the wrestling media, um, I'm I'm friends with um, Alfred uh, Kanawa. I'm, I know him from out here in LA. He, he, he just write the most, um, and I've told this to him to his face. He he just write the most trash articles on AEW where I th <laughs> thought he was kind of like not being fair to them as a company, accusing them of things that WWE itself has been doing for decades. So they had that going against them as well. Um, and just the perception. And, and at the time, when a lot of goofy stuff was going on in AEW, um, WWE was, they were kind of pushing Black wrestlers, whether you want to say if they were salient pushes or not, but they were at least there. Um, now I think they're back in a lull, but um, at least during that time period, you had Bobby Lashley as the champion. You had um, Biggie challenge him. Uh, the Kofi Kingston stuff happened at the tail end of uh, 2019. So there were things that like told that that signaled to Black people, this is a show for you. Um, and I think that now they're WWE right now with the main roster, at least they're they're just clearly not in that season at the moment. And um, it ebbs and flows, I guess I should say. Yeah, I think you just made I think you made a really interesting point there in terms of uh, not like obviously, like if you're looking for like a solution, it would be like, well, just push push more black people. Right. Right. Um, but I think you touched on something really interesting that I've never thought about. And like, I think it's a great reason why I wanted to have you on the show is like certain characters that they don't necessarily they don't have to be black. They don't have to be white. But if their stories or their characters um are presented in a certain way they can as you said like tell people black people that this is not for them without you know e expressly saying it and i do think that um like if you compare like mjf's character or adam mm -hmm. cole's character to say roman reigns's character or cody right. rhodes's character those guys are probably seemingly more relatable to black viewers than like yeah. MJF's character. And, and they 100% are. That's kind of an issue as well. Um, and it's, I mean, you know, I think this like Samoans and, and Black people are kind of tied at the hip out here, um, especially in California. I've got plenty of Samoan friends, uh, plenty, plenty of uh, Pacific Islander friends. Um, and our cultures are very, very similar. So automatically, 
you know, when you see like uh, Roman Reigns and main event J and all that stuff, even if it's not the greatest at the moment, it's still something that um, the, the black every man or every woman can kind of relate to. Um, even even if it was interested looking at the um the top ten and top twenty merch seller sellers that Thurston posted a while ago, and no black people were on on those lists, and this is for strictly WWE. Um, and this and this and this kind of speaks to you have to make these people if these I think. People will buy the merch of people if they feel important. And I don't think anybody um, on the WWE roster at the moment feels important of any black folks on the WWE roster feels that important at the moment. And I think that kind of attributes to um, low merchandise sales. Um, with AEW, it's just... I think Tony Khan is used to the wrestling that he's used to. Um, and it's, and when you're the only person booking the show, I don't know um, if he's um, who he's getting advice from. I know he hired uh, Will Washington to write a while back. Um, I, I casually know Will Washington. We're not besties or anything, but he, hopefully he's getting advice from uh minds like uh will washington when he's booking these shows because it really sometimes just doesn't seem like um though any black wrestlers are prioritized and the thing with with when you're dealing with demographics and people they want their groups rep represented you know they want to feel like they're a part of something and then if you're and then the overall show as a whole, like you like you were saying, um, Jesse, it, people are not just going to watch your show just because you're pushing a random Black talent. They got to, it's got to be a Black talent that relates to people. Like if, like again, with the Swerve stuff right now, um, it really does feel like he's on the precipice, the cusp of something. And that's really what we want to feel when we watch these shows. Yeah, I think I think you raise a good point. For starters, just historically in wrestling, the the key bookers, the key writers have almost always been white. Like, mm -hmm. and even now today, outside of Will Washington, I don't know if I can name another um, black man or woman who's in a key creative in a creative position in either AEW or WWE I'm sure WWE has some you know they have the whole writer's room uh, yeah. of people so I'm sure there's somebody there but in terms of like major people that we know whether it's you know Paul Levesque or or, or Shawn Michaels or Bruce Pritchard like it, it does yeah. it does it's it's you know it's it's it and historically it's it's pretty much always been the case that this has been an industry that's been dominated by the creative visions of white men, typically older white men. Right. Yeah. And Thank you. if you, if I interject for a second, no, go for it. Um, WWE, like I'm, if they've got a black person in the writers' room right now that is writing that um that bullshit. Excuse the language. I don't know what. No, it's okay. Go for it. 
Okay, he's, yeah, that's riding that bullshit with our truth. Um, and they're telling them that is the way to go. I think they're they they really do not have a handle on the black audience or don't even care to have one. I critically think about everything. That's just my what I do as an educator, right? I don't just watch things and just accept them for what they are. This stuff with our truth in my opinion and you can at me send all your hate tweets to me is so um antiquated and dumb that it really kind of turns my stomach when I watch it. You've got this black character on the show in an angle where he's trying to be friends with the cool kids. A couple of them are white, a couple of them are uh, Hispanic, Latino. Um, and it's just every week this guy is like delusional to think he's in with the cool kids and he's not and they and people are laughing at him for just being a dumb guy and I am waiting for it to go somewhere um and then the arguments that I see online from people is well our truth doesn't have a problem so you shouldn't have a problem with it as well that would be cool if it only affected our truth when I see crap like this it affects the race, you know? So if I, I, I honestly don't care how much our truth loves this. If he, if, if he loves it, good for him. Keep on keep it, keeping on. But you really got to think of the way that you're represented at the moment. You got to think of the kids that are watching this that are like um, trying to, to, aspire to be WWE superstars and it's horrible 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 stuff in my opinion um and I haven't I'm, I'm open to arguments that says it's not but I haven't heard a good one um so I had to get that off of my chest with with the r-truth stuff um and this is WWE has a history of doing this crap it's not just that they do offensive crap they do offensive and insulting crap. AEW, for all their faults, they're, and they have a lot of faults, um, mainly being that they don't, they, they, they treat the women like they're just there. They treat the Blacks sometimes like they're just there, but they're not representing them in a embarrassing light the way WWE sometimes does. And I thought we were over that once Vince McMahon got out of power. And it seems like we're still doing that shit. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous 
round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's gonna be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably gonna get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast network if i could have a moment of your time i'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors eufy video lock eufy video lock is a smart lock a 2k camera and a doorbell all three in one offering you triple security so you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door but it's not just for security Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed 
by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys, reach in my pocket, or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock. E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Um, sorry for the rant, but because no, I, I think that out. there's a really, I think that I just, I don't know, I, and there's plenty of reasons. Uh, you know, uh, there's plenty of reasons why this is like that. Why this, um, you know, exists like this the way it does. But there is the the lawsuit from last year, um, mm-hmm. by a former the W trust one. Or the or the this the Abraham yeah um, so this is Brittany Abrahams who was a former WWE staff writer I think yeah. she was the only black woman on the WWE staff or on the the Raw writing team whatever she what team she was on right um and she had a lawsuit that had some pretty bad stuff in it in terms of her interactions with the head writing team mm-hmm. and I think one of the key things was they the the writing team was really they really wanted Bianca Belair to say this line, which was like, don't make me take my earrings off and beat your ass or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was some real stereotypical uh, black woman line. That was, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and I think Bianca was like, I don't I don't talk like that. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't think that really fits my character. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Brittany Abrahams was very, you know, sympathetic, being like, yeah, we should come up with something different. And one of the the head writers said something, again, this is according to the lawsuit, which has since been dropped, but mm-hmm. um, he said something like, you know, like he rolled his eyes, was like, you guys make it very, we don't know how to write for black characters. Like he just said that. Right. Um, and I was like, whoa, that's, that's <laughs> pretty big that a WWE writer said that. And then unfortunately, if you look at like, what major creative direction Bianca Belair has had over the last year or so, I would say that it seems very truthful to say that they don't know how to write for black woman characters because she really hasn't had anything interesting to do, I think. Um, yeah, no, she, she, yeah. And she, she, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, and I, and I was just going to throw in, I was like, we know that, you know, Mercedes Monet and in Trinity quit the company. I guess Trinity's contract expired, but Mercedes walked out of the company mm-hmm. um, because of creative differences. Maybe that had to do with Vince McMahon or, or whatever, but those are your your two most prominent, you know, black female performers. Mercedes was probably your most, one of your most prominent performers, period, uh, when she walked out. And then even this, you know, Jade, they had Jade around, but they haven't done yeah. anything with her. Right. And then Triple H in that press conference says, 
that, you know, they it was pretty much saying she didn't learn anything in AEW. That's what I heard. I know that's not what he said, but it was, it's like, what is she going to learn in NXT that's going to better prepare her for um, the main roster? I think Jade Cargill at the moment, she's the wrestler that she is. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think she's going to get any better or worse. Um, I don't think she's like horrible, but I don't, if if they're trying to make her become another uh, Mercedes Monet um, that they, they do not understand what, what she is as a wrestler. She is who she is either, you know, um, shit or get off the proverbial pot because this is, you know, this is who you have. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think every wrestler needs to be uh Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson. I think if 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 you've got her, push her, um, do something with her. Um so um because that again that's kind of like you were saying about uh Bianca, she's just been sitting in this weird limbo at the moment. Yes, and... she hasn't been like killed or anything. Okay. It's not like she's been buried and forced to lose a bunch of matches, but she yeah. even when she was champion she just didn't seem to have a real creative direction. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she had yeah. matches and she won most of them and she retained her title for a long time, but there's like, what's her storyline? What's, what's she doing? It's just, she's kind of just like this, you know, popular, talented over wrestler, but doesn't seem to have a lot of creative direction. And I, and, you know, coming off of the lawsuit and just looking at what are the black women in this company doing? And as yeah. you mentioned, you can throw in the black men for a lot of cases like Bobby Lashley. What's he up to? Um, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's a problem. And with Jade, I mean, to me, the whole like, Oh, Jade isn't like a good enough wrestler for us to have on TV is total nonsense. WWE puts yeah. it absolutely <laughs> awful, <laughs> especially on NXT. There are some people that have had like under five matches that are on TV. I, yeah. I think Jade is maybe turned out to be maybe like a little disappointing in terms of in-ring ability but you can't tell me that she's not better than many of the people that are on tv we just right yeah we just saw nia Jax have a 12 minute match on raw okay like jade can't work squash matches on on tv and i think it was a lost i mean we'll see what ends up happening with her but i do i think she had a lot more momentum when she just made the jump from AEW to ww yeah yeah that this 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 pause has definitely been a momentum killer um, and I've gotten into arguments uh, on my own podcast with with uh, like my uh, my my friend Andrew Thompson, one of the co-hosts. It's it, it, you can't do this to people if you're not going to debut her. Just I would have per I would have perfect been I would have been perfectly content with her debuting at the Royal Rumble, putting her eye on ice for a few months. But when you show her on TV and you announce this signing. And then you just do nothing with her. All she's doing is walking around backstage, um, and we're waiting for her to do something. It it is it's a moment momentum killer. It doesn't give me hope for her in the future. Um, it reminds me of um, when uh, that uh, Joey Legend guy. I don't know if if this is probably before your time, uh, but this guy uh, Joey Legend. He was, uh, they called him Just Joe in WWE. He's this big indie guy that was supposed to debut. And everybody was like, oh yeah, Joey Legend, he's coming to WWE. 
and all they did were backstage vignettes with the guy and then he never shows up. Uh, I see this kind of being a repeat of what's going on with, with Jade at the moment. Um, and like you said, she there was, are people uh, on NXT. Yeah. yeah she was, was getting, she was just, she was getting out of limos. And I think they were yeah. trying to do this thing where like, Oh, is she on raw? Is she on SmackDown? Is she could be on NXT? Like where's she going? Yeah. And then, I mean, she's she's fallen off the face of the earth the last month. I don't yeah. think anyone's seen her anywhere. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I I did see her on a video where she was. I think she gave uh, Nelly, uh, the rapper, uh, like a like a title belt or something. Yeah, she was, was at a she was at one of like I think she was at like the Big Twelve Championship game with like the it was like the yeah. Undertaker, Jade, and like two other people. Which I was like, yeah. I wonder what all these people talked about like backstage before they. Were yeah, I know, right? It was like a, some kind of a motley crew, right? Yeah, there. but um, and you're right. It was kind of a weird thing to like you either have her debut at the rumble and it's like this big deal when she makes a surprise you know entrance um but now you kind of set the stage where she's like oh you teased her doing something and then she's gone and it's just mm -hmm. kind of a and and to me this this has nothing to do with her wrestling it has to do with not having a plan for for her yeah I feel like that's the key and it, and that's the problem with wrestling as well and i think it affects the black talent worse than it affects their talent TK was going through that as well. It's like you sign Swerve, you signed Athena, you signed um, uh, uh, Keith Lee, you signed all of these talents, and now they're just kind of there and really not doing anything. It it becomes like, are you just are we just hoarding talent at the moment, or are you signing these people? with a plan in place for them. Um, and I mean, it's, it doesn't just affect um, black talent, but the, but the problem with this is there's way more white talent than black talent. So even though it doesn't, it affects some white talent too, when it only affects, when it affects black talent, they get hurt more than white talent because white talent is always gonna get pushed, right? Um, and I think that point is missed on a lot of, uh, people who watch wrestling. And like, like I was telling you earlier, I, I critically think about all of this stuff. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's CM Punk getting fired or how wrestlers are pushed. I always think of the optics of the situation when Bianca Belair, when she lost to uh, Becky Lynch in, what was it, 30 seconds or something at that SummerSlam, mm -hmm. I think of the optics of that. You know, you could say, oh, this is just the storyline and this and that, but the bottom line is this is a Black woman wrestler on your show when there's not a lot of Black women wrestlers on your show at the moment, and she is played to be a sucker and and lose like that and just and just i don't i don't know what questions these people ask themselves when they're pushing talent like that i think this is where like consultants kind of play is asking them is this offensive if is this not offensive or if it if it's if it is offensive, at least how do we bring it to a place where it won't be offensive anymore? You know, 
Um, and that and that and that's my whole thing. I don't necessarily mind uh, like taboo subjects in wrestling, but it's got to be going somewhere. It can't just be taboo and racist and antiquated and dumb just for be being for the sake of being taboo, antiquated, racist, and dumb. It's got to be leading us to a destination. You mentioned something about like, especially with AEW and Tony Khan, kind of the wrestling that Tony Khan is familiar with, which, mm-hmm. and and I've been thinking about this in terms of, uh, again, if if you look at these charts, I, I think 14% of the United States is African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, so even Dynamite with its 16% Black audience is over-indexing with, with the Black right. audience. And WWE, obviously... Um, is doing tremendously well. So in general, wrestling is is very popular with black people, just mm-hmm. as a, as a general rule. But and I I have no data for this, and I'd be interested in hearing your perspective. Just yeah. anecdotally, like indie wrestling, like whether it's Ring of Honor or PWG or any of these other indie promotions that have existed, despite the fact that wrestling in general is very popular with black people, those atmospheres i've experienced have been overwhelmingly white far more than if you were to go to a wwe show or even an AEW show and i do wonder if AEW, which is you know in a lot of ways an evolved form of the american indie scene from the 2000s and 2010s and is was kind of you know grew up as this niche thing that people you know uh talked about on the internet if that plays a role in kind of it's this niche nerdy white person thing and not right. this maybe more uh mainstream uh mm-hmm. thing that connects with 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 across many different racial demographics. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see that. And I I, I haven't watched um ROH or anything like that in a in a while, but um, yeah, I can definitely see that because that that does happen. You know, that's a that's a thing that happens in wrestling, especially with like indie shows and in sh- shows that are kind of, uh, you know, it's it it's really like because because the idea is attract. You don't want to necessarily abandon your current audience, but you just want to tell other people that this is for you as well, you know? Um, And that's kind of like, because the sport of baseball is going through a little bit of that right now, back in the 90s. Like, I remember being a baseball fan in the 90s, and we had uh, Kenny Lofton and Deion Sanders and David Justice and just all of these awesome baseball players. Um, and then by the 2000s, there's, there's less and less uh, Black people um, wanting to play baseball. And WWE, um, they've got the talent. AEW has the talent. Um, the indies, the talent is there. It's just wrestling is going to have to evolve to something where you're including more people and you're not treating like even with like um like women wrestlers you it's important that you feature these the roles that you feature people in are just as important as featuring them period you know um 
that like um AEW does they used to do this thing where if they didn't have any idea of what what they wanted to do with a wrestler they would just be on dark all the time i actually didn't mind that like i know other people did i didn't mind it because at least they're not on tv losing all the time wwe has this weird thing um and i don't know if it's going to be like this in the uh, nick khan uh triple h era but they have this thing where they just put talented people on television and if they don't have anything to do with them, it's just let's have them lose every week, you know. Um, so it's a it's a it's a lot of different things. It's a cultural thing. It's it's the main event. Like I think any I think no matter what your race is, if you're looking at the WrestleMania season, I think most fans want to see um, most hardcore fans. Let me rephrase that. Want to see probably Seth Rollins. Um, and um, CM Punk on night one, maybe Cody Rhodes and uh, and um, Roman Reigns on night two. But if if you're telling good stories, black people are just going to gravitate. And then once they gravitate, you have to make sure you're pushing the black wrestlers. This is this goes for um, both companies, you know. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned baseball uh, mm -hmm. as this thing where baseball. It's still going on, but it was this huge issue with baseball used to be, if you go back to like, you know, the 70s, 80s and 90s, tons of star black players. Every team right, had yeah. several star black players. Mm -hmm. And for a variety of reasons, that's no longer the case. And it's this real concern about is baseball on its way to becoming like kind of like hockey where it can still be popular, but it can be totally in this own niche that a lot of people will have no idea you know, couldn't name any players or anything like that. Um, and this is something I think like white people have a hard time understanding because their experience is so much different mm -hmm. in the yeah. sense of like someone being, turning on TV and seeing someone that looks like you. Something right, that yeah. white people don't think about ever. And I remember yeah. reading, this is like when I was a kid, I was probably like 14 reading an article in Sports Illustrated uh, okay. about- um okay. it was about baseball and the decline of baseball and, and black players in baseball and i remember as a kid yeah. being like i don't really understand it why does why does you know this guy care that gary sheffield was black like couldn't he just right, like a baseball yeah. player and that's something that never you know as i got older i began to understood understand why that's important and um maybe i don't know like is this the case like if you go back in, in wrestling even though a lot of the portrayals of black people in wrestling historically have not aged particularly well. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. But even, even though still, you know, being a place where you could see black people on TV, where maybe that was less common um, is a factor. I, I remember um, I had a friend um, who, who, who older guy, not even a wrestling fan. Mm -hmm. um, and he's, he's Iranian and it was right after the Iron Sheik died. And he said yeah. something like, oh, yeah, like the Iron Sheik, he was like a hero to me when I was a kid because, you know, he was the, you know, outside of the Ayatollah, he was the only Iranian they ever showed on television. Right. And it's like, even though he was portraying like a really stereotypical, in a lot of ways you could consider harmful character, they this guy still had very fond memories of him because he was like the only you know, 
person that was like that was you know like him that was speaking farsi uh on television and i don't know right. if that's i mean obviously no, there's that's, yeah that's a thing right there right and that's because that's what happens with me when i was a kid I, I liked all the stereotypical wrestlers and stuff it's just when you grow older and sensibilities change it's you got to evolve with the times and i think that wwe hasn't been the greatest at doing that you know um and then that's that's where you get these people that these comics that get oh I, i'm getting canceled and you know i'm just telling jokes and stuff and, and they're they're just so like lost that they can't even like um update their material you know it's 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 one of those kinds of situations and it's not like we we weren't it's, we 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 that stuff bought us into wrestling but now to keep us in wrestling to get the new crop of fans people are not putting up with that nonsense the way they're doing in the this nonsense that we tolerate in the 80s is just not going to be the same for the 2020s it's it's and if you don't understand that then you got to kind of get out of the business right Mm -hmm. And I think that comes back to, I think, I think in AEW, at least, mm -hmm. the talent is allowed to be more authentically themselves. Right. They're not, like, and I think one of the reasons I think Swerve's character is hitting is because Swerve, not only is Swerve happened to be Black, but Swerve's character is very urban. He's, you know, this hip-hop yeah, yeah. mogul. He, yeah, he's not a caricature. He's kind of being his authentic self and yeah. kind of at this moment being the best version of himself, even with him doing this stuff with Hangman Page and all of that. Well, so. he's a wrestler, so he's still got to be yeah. like, is it? but yeah. he feels like much more like a real person and he feels like somebody, as opposed to WWE historically, right. a lot of the characters that, anyone that was really like anyone is being portrayed in this very cartoonish over the top manner right um, and that's definitely true for talent of color uh but but even yeah. not like i always like i always think like vince's idea for somebody when he ever feels like they're not getting over as much was for them to just become more foreign or <laughs> yeah exaggerate foreign, whatever they are like gender well, mahal don't get me started yeah man. well you can even look at like drew like when drew when there was like some trepidation about drew becoming the champion like, <laughs> he's got to be he's got to paint himself like braveheart and he's got to have yeah. a sword and he's got to tell a story like he's he's it's like of stories of scottish folklore is like yeah just become yeah. more scottish you know yeah any, more ethnic yeah. yeah any wrestler that's ever been from you know, the UK, Ireland has to pretend they're a king at some point. Usually they win King of the Ring, but then they have to become, whether it's, you know, Regal or Sheamus or Wade Barrett, they're all, they're all a king at some point because right. that's how Vince, Vince has always seen these people, uh, anyone who's a little bit different than a, <laughs> than a, you know, Anglo-Saxon American has to be a, this right. exaggerated version. And, and hopefully that's different now that Vince seems to be out of really any significant creative decision-making. Um, mm -hmm. But I still feel like that kind of lingers in wrestling, this old school belief of like, exaggerate these personal traits that you have, even if it's completely inauthentic to that individual. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's a problem in wrestling. Um, so it's, I, 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 there's so much I could say about that. Um, I do have to um, go. I have to have blood blood drawn at, how, at my house in a minute. So oh, yeah. I have to... Uh, cut this short but yeah this is um 
Yeah, the very interesting conversation. And yeah, I, 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 we could we could literally talk about this for hours. Um, um, I hope you have me back on. I hope you, you come on my podcast and we could talk about this a lot more. Anytime. All right. And um, then, uh, yeah. Do you have anything you want to plug before you run? Oh, there's the NWA podcast. I'm writing a book, but that's not going to be out for a while. So we'll we'll get into all of that. Um, and uh, yeah, man, just thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks a lot, Chris. I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about the subject. Um, I think this is a was a was a great conversation, and I'm sure the response will be very well for 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 my listeners. And hopefully, um, they check out your podcast. And I I'd love to be on your show. You're welcome to come back on mine anytime. Um, but thanks a lot, and um, for all my listeners, I'll uh, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, and we'll I'll see you again after a while. Thanks. I appreciate it. I. Uh, my name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We take a broad-scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines, and we also look at it from a big-picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW? Are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on the good, the bad, and the hungry every week on the Voice of Wrestling Network.